We have quite a lengthy text this morning, and I want to invite you to follow along. Um, it's, it's not a, a passage you can just take a section out of to get the, the theme that comes from this experience of Peter and John as they are being uh, interrogated. So if you bear with me, I'd like to read Acts 4, 1 through 22, and invite you to follow along. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were part of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, <clears throat> the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed and standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they confirmed, conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. <clears throat> But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. <clears throat> Again, I apologize for the length of the text, but it's something you just can't uh, 
pull apart and just take a section look at it. You've got to see the whole story. Matter of fact, the story goes all the way back to chapter 3. And if you remember, I gave you an assignment last week to read Acts 3 and 4. And I know at least one person in this congregation has done that. They told me so. And I'm waiting for the rest of you to tell me you did the same thing. It's a great story. It's rich. It's, it's, it's just full of life for us today to, to, to gravitate to. And while we have read a significant portion of this passage, <clears throat> this is, again, something that spills over even into chapter 5. In this, in, in this particular chapter, this is interesting. Let me back up. When we had, um, when we had our discussion, our, our uh, discipleship hour following the morning service last week, we discussed this passage of Scripture, last, last week's sermon and the part of the Scripture. And it was Paul Stock who said, it's all pointing to boldness. The word was boldness. And if you look at this passage of Scripture, boldness in what we have read, in what we will read in chapter 4, appears four times. What's really important to recognize, according to the English Standard Version, the word boldness only appears ten times in the whole New Testament. And here it is, in one chapter, four, it appears four times. There's something significant about this word boldness. The word is used to describe the, the demeanor of Peter and John. Those apostles and devout followers who are also being very bold in terms of their testimony for Christ. So, let me ask this question of you. How would you define boldness? What, is, what does that say to you? Is it, 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 you know, we might use such words as uh, courageous or fearless or uh, brave, uh, valiant, uh, unafraid, undaunted. All those words could be used to describe the character of these men. And so, if, if, these, if this is the character of at least these two and other, uh, the other apostles and others who will follow their example... From whence does this boldness come? Where did they get it? <laughs> because we know, looking back in history, not that long ago, just a few months ago, matter of fact, Peter wasn't so bold, was he? But here he is, standing before that group, that same group that sentenced Jesus to death, boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and the power that's found in that name. This is prophetic. This is prophetic. By the very words of Jesus, he said to his disciples, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, he said, and when, listen to this, this is exciting, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you would defend yourself or what you would say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour of what to say. Wow. I mean, before this, this chapter in the life of the church even unfolded, Jesus was telling them, it, you're going to be equipped when you need it. You're going to have what you need it, and it's the Holy Spirit. It was also reinforced when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples on the last night before his crucifixion. And it's recorded for us in John 14, 26, when Jesus said to his disciples, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all, thing, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
all that I have said to you. And, and now connect that, those words of Christ with the very words of Peter. When Peter was charged by the Sanhedrin not to speak the words of Christ anymore, not to speak in his name, Peter says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I, I appreciate the translation here, but let me, let me reinforce what Peter is saying here. Peter and John is saying here, by looking at a couple other versions of this text. One is a paraphrase from the message. And this is what uh, uh, Eugene Peterson would have, would have, how he wrote it in his book, is the message. He says, as for us, there is no question. We can't keep quiet about what we have seen and heard. And then the New Living Translation puts it this way. We cannot stop telling about what wonderful things we have seen and heard. The Holy Spirit is the energy behind the story of everyone who has experienced a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit working on us and through us and in us that we are able to share with others what we have seen and what we have heard, what we have experienced when we have been with Jesus. I want to take you back a couple months, not in my sermons, but in the text. And you remember the counter encounter that the two men on the road had with Jesus? They have left the disciples with the word that Jesus is risen, and they're, they're, they're mulling over this truth, this half-truth, this, this puzzling truth. And Jesus comes upon them and begins to speak to them, addresses them with the words, prophetic words, words from uh, all through the, the prophets and the writings of Moses, and Psalms. And finally ends up in their house, has, breaks bread with them, and then Jesus vanishes. Now listen to this. And he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? Fire in the belly. <laughs> they are set on fire by this encounter with Jesus Christ. So much so that they get up from the table that very hour and they run back to Jerusalem. It's a dead heat. They're talking as fast as their feet can carry them to get back with the other apostles and the other disciples and say to them that he is risen. He's alive. We've seen him. Nothing, nothing to prevent them to again proclaim what they have seen and what they have heard. I want to give you some other examples in Scripture where there is this burning within, this, this, this need to tell others about what Jesus has done in your life or what God means to you as the father of faith. I take you back to the Old Testament, to, to Jeremiah. Uh, I was challenged one time by a, a group of people in Ohio to preach a, preach a sermon on the text from Jeremiah 29, chapter, chapter 20, verse 9. This is how it reads. This is Jeremiah speaking. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, 
There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah was understandably wanting somehow to escape this call upon his life as a prophet because he had to take word to, do, to, do, to Judah pending judgment and also calling them to repentance. And because of this word that had been burned into him, it was required of him to endure beatings and imprisonments and threats upon his life. But because of the fire in his heart, there was no restraint, no holding back. He said, I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. Ha. Maybe something a little closer to home that we've identified with in, in our readings of the, of the scriptures and the New Testament and, and a very familiar story of the woman at the well. In the heat of the day, this woman shows up to draw water, encounters Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus reveals to her that he knows so much about her, so much about her. And it also begins to dawn on her that this might be the one. This might be the one that could have been sent by God as the Messiah. And after this encounter, this woman is overtaken by this, this hearing and seeing Jesus. We read in John 4, 28 and 30, the woman left her water jar and went away in town and said to the people, come and see the man who said, who told me everything that I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. A woman defiled by bro broken relationships, living in adultery, in the heat of the day, <clears throat> dealing with a reputation that somehow has to be hidden from the good people in the village cannot be restrained as she, she has experienced an encounter with Jesus. And so her mission and her message is unashamedly proclaimed to those people who would even wag their fingers at her by simply saying, this man knows everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. A testimony? He told me, he told me everything that I did. He knows me inside and out. I've had an encounter with one who knows me better than I know myself. When I read the story of the good Samaritan, or of the uh, woman at the well, I, 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 re I recalled a, a, a quote by Corey Tinboom, and I may have shared it with you in the past, but it is so applicable to this setting. Corey Tenboom says, a person is either a missionary or a mission field. And you have it right here. This woman was a mission field who became a missionary. It's just a, such a beautiful, beautiful story. Another one for you. It only gets better, you know. <laughs> the demon-possessed man, a man named Legion. He's got so many demons, they, they give him the name Legion because he's, he's so possessed. He, he has been confined to the tombs. He has been bound by chains and ropes. 
and he breaks free as he, as he runs amongst the graves, screaming like a lunatic. And Jesus comes on the scene and delivers the man from all those demons. And the people come out and find this man sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. It's, let me read the passage to you. When, when, when the people saw Legion sitting there in his right mind, they, they, they are scared. They're afraid. They asked Jesus to go away. And so we read, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him, go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, listen to this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He can't contain himself. It's not just going to your house and see all the good things that's happened. He's telling the whole town all the good things that have happened because of this encounter with Christ. Peter and John now are called before the Jewish council because they had healed a man in the name of Jesus. They are questioned. They are interrogated. By what power, by what authority did you do this? And Peter boldly proclaims that in the name of Jesus, the power comes strictly from him. In the name of Jesus. And we, we kind of highlighted last week, this is, this is just un, incomprehensible by the Sanhedrin because they've tagged these guys of being uneducated, ordinary folks, just like you and me. And, and they said, don't teach us anymore. Don't teach anything in the name of Jesus anymore. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or, to, or rather than to God, you be, you be the judge. For we must speak everything that we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak everything that we have seen and heard. I have set before you an example of different people. We have looked at a prophet. We have looked at an adulterous woman. We have looked at a man that's out of his mind. We, we looked at two men walking on the road. We looked at two men that represented common folk. But the message was the same. It burned within them. It could not be contained. The messengers were driven by a message. Get that? The messengers were driven by a message to proclaim the name of Jesus, to save a village, to save a nation, to save a world. That's the Great Commission. We are charged in the name of Jesus to go into the world and proclaim his great power and forgiving grace. I have to ask this question as I have to ask it for myself. Does the same fire burn within me? Does the same fire burn within me? If we don't have a message that burns within, then we have either forgotten the messenger or we have abandoned the mission. We have either forgotten the messenger or we have abandoned 
the mission. Timothy is pastoring a church that's got all kinds of problems. And his spiritual father, Paul, writes him a letter. And this is one of the things that Paul says to Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul is, is talking about the gift of God. And that gift comes in very many forms and manifestations, but the Holy Spirit can certainly be considered as one of those gifts, and we are to fan it into flame. The message of a prophet, the promiscuous woman, the village idiot, the, the travelers on the road, the uneducated common folk were prompted by what Paul said, love and power. And they delivered the message in love and power. These should be the very characteristics of the church today. Boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in love and in power. So many of us here as parents have been charged with the responsibility of raising up a child in the way he should go. And, and I think for the most part, I think everyone here has done a pretty good job. The response isn't maybe what we always expected, but if you've been faithful to that charge, you have to trust in the Lord for the outcome. You've got to do that. But I want to tell you something, folks. As a parent, as a father, I can't speak for moms, but as a father, I sometimes look back on the opportunities I did not take to speak into the life of my children. A pastor of a church, you know, uh, a youth leader, uh, all those, all those positions of where somehow this faith is going to be demonstrated. But was I so direct, was I so bold to speak directly into their lives about the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who holds the power and has the love and offers us everything and anything that we need as we ask it in his name. I, I'm rambling here a bit because there's a, bit of, there's a sense of guilt here that as a parent, I think we take it for granted that somehow it's, it's by osmosis sinking in. I, I was on Facebook this morning, before church, forgive me, but I was on Facebook this morning and I saw a friend of mine who I had gone to Honduras with on a number of occasions. He's a great-grandfather right now. And there was a post that he was pictured having devotions with his great-granddaughter. What a testimony. What a testimony. I've taken it upon myself. The project isn't complete, but I'm, I'm pledged to have it done before I die. I'm writing a book. You're not going to see it, and it's not going to be published. <laughs> it's going to be a testimony to my children and my grandchildren. 
of setting before them some of the lessons I've learned through this crippled, crippled uh, journey <laughs> through the faith. Uh, the stumbling and the falling and yet the picking up of a faithful God and, and, and hopefully being through a just genuine testimony that they may discover for themselves the power and the love of a Savior. Uh, again, rambling, but I think it's called upon us as parents, as adults, to look for every opportunity we have to speak into the life of our youth, of our children, of our brothers, of our sisters, of family, of neighbors, of friends, of work associates. To be so bold in love and in power to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> conclude with this. You don't do it on your own, do you? You do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to I share a promise made to you. Jesus used this as a teaching lesson after he talked about uh, that, that latecomer coming to a neighbor and asking for bread. He concluded that passage with this, this verse. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Boldness isn't going to be something that I'll muster up, something somehow I can get a hold of. The boldness has to come from asking for the Holy Spirit to give me the boldness and the power and the love. The last two times that the word boldness appears in chapter 4 is in the closing verses. <clears throat> the disciples have returned to be with their friends in Christ. And this is how it reads, verse 29. It's a prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretched out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name and of your holy servant, Jesus. <laughs> Prepare yourself now. If you're praying this prayer, prepare yourself now. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. Oh, I just wish grab, the Lord would just grab the sanctuary right now and rattle us real good. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak with the word of God in boldness. Brothers and sisters, uh, I, I just leave it there. Um, let's, let's petition God to grant us the boldness that we find only in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.